Thanks for downloading the 12th in our series of episodes of the C-Suite podcast that we're recording in partnership with the European PR agency Taito and their own Without Borders podcast, where we are interviewing leaders of unicorn companies to find out about the key issues, pain points and challenges that startups face and how they can address them with a strategic approach to marketing and communications. My name is Russell Goldsmith and my co-host for this series of interviews is Taito's founder, Brendan Craigie. And today we're thrilled to be joined online from Israel by Chen Amit, co-founder and CEO of Tapauti, a fintech startup that reached unicorn status in October 2020 after raising $150 million in a Series E round. Welcome to the show, Chen. Uh, we should probably start by you giving us a quick introduction to the business. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Uh, Tipalti solves the global accounts payable challenge for fast-growing companies and the mid-market The challenge is that, especially mid-market companies, the CFOs, you know, they're trying to become uh, reputable, to play the high game. Uh, They've gone through audits. They understand compliance. But uh, in a mid-market company, finance is not where CEOs want to devote resources, want to invest in. They'd rather invest in probably anything else but suppliers and accounts payable. And therefore, when they, uh, when they acquire a solution, it needs to be very broad, very comprehensive and, and deep. And that's what we do. We cover the a gamut of uh, accounts payable uh, challenges, be it supplier onboarding, supplier vetting, tax compliance, AML compliance, currency management, invoice processing, PO matching, ERP integrations, reconciliation, just a very broad set of challenges, which is one of the big challenges of accounts payable that it's really a set many discrete functions uh, under one umbrella. Uh, and we do it in a holistic, organically grown, integrated, easy to consume solution. We are a, a financial institution of sorts called Money Transmitter. We're processing around $18 billion annually, growing roughly 100% year over year. And one of the key metrics we are most proud of is 99% annual gross dollar retention. So when we sign up customers, they stay with us for the remainder of their life. Just building on some of the points you've been talking about there, Chen, are there, is there kind of like particular aspects of your business that's drawing customers to you over and above your competitors? And and I don't know whether you could maybe elaborate a bit more on you know what why you've kind of managed to attract so many fast-growing, well-known tech brands to your to your business as customers? Yeah, we definitely, uh, you know, you have your Amazon Twitch, you have your Twitter, GoDaddy, Duolingo, GitLab, Medium. Indeed, many of those uh, fast-growing tech leaders uh, among our customers. And, you know, they are the early adopters, right? They are those uh, forward-looking CFOs who want to spend their time on strategic topics. They don't want to spend their time on mundane, cumbersome, risky, labor-intensive, relatively low-value-added tasks uh, that are around accounts payable. And they're looking for, like, their go-to motion is automation. They expect things to be automated, right? These tech companies they automate left and right, and um, and that's why they are the early adopters. And and you know, I think it's typical to our customers. They will be forward-looking, thought leaders, strategic CFOs who understand that they shouldn't be doing 
those AP functions manually and they need to automate them. You know, many of them will have uh, multiple entities, you know, a subsidiary here, subsidiary there that will make their life so much more complex. They will have some cross-border activity. Um, you know, it'll be a little bit more complex than your uh, grocery store, so to speak. That's really interesting. That makes a lot of sense what you're saying about the early adopter point. And, and I guess that bodes well for the future. Thinking about the, the current environment, there's been a lot of discussion about companies investing in digital transformation and investing in greater automation. And I was curious to get your perspective on how you see the tech stack within the finance operation evolving and, and where you see your role within that. Yeah, I think uh, COVID actually amplified uh, the need for digitization in the finance department, right? If you are a CFO and you used to sit next door from your CEO and sign a check, you know, uh, your uh, controller will bring in a check, he will sign it, your CEO will co-sign it. Now you might be uh, 50 miles apart and it's just not available for you. You now need more financial, better financial controls because maybe your business is under pressure with COVID. Maybe you needed to do more with less people. So you need the automation. All of those are really some of the drivers driving uh, uh, digitization in general in the finance uh, office and accelerating uh, specifically a global accounts payable like Tipaldi does. But more so, I think a part of our mission is to really integrate the finance operation, the financial operations with the business operations to be uh, coexistent and merged. And it should be natural to move from one decision to an action and, and not to be so separated as it is today between what you do in your business and then you need to turn to your bank to legacy, old, you know, send effects. You know, you still get your bank to ask you to send effects. I don't know if anyone has effects these days. We're looking to integrate as many of the functions into the business workflow to be intertwined. When I uh, described what we do and how broad we go, this is really part of the vision to make it natural integration of business uh, processes and financial operations. That also allows us to bring enterprise-grade capabilities to the mid-market, kind of like Amazon did for computing, where before Amazon Web Services, you need to be a giant to have uh, your own uh, data servers. And now you can be a daily startup and have your uh, data server available for you. We will do that, or we are doing that for financial capabilities and are bringing some of those that are only available for enterprise uh, customers accessible to the mid-market. Just um, going back to that recent investment in your business that I mentioned in, in the intro. So if I've got that right now, that's raised the company valuation to, to two or over two billion. Mm-hmm. How has becoming a, a unicorn um, changed the perception of the company, would you say? Definitely adds credibility, right? When you see serious investors, right? These are marquee, uh, very reputable investors, some of the leaders of growth and what's called crossover, like those are investors that invest in the phases between growth and going public. Uh, when they go all in on a company like Tipaldi, it adds credibility, recognition. I think other uh, developments in our category are also strengthening the positioning of the category uh, as a whole. But uh, yeah, now when we speak with uh, candidates, They know of us, they've heard of us. When we speak with customers, 
they know of us and heard of us. We were that, that hidden, hidden gem, so to speak. We weren't very vocal for many years, but uh, this round of funding elevated our, our um, um, recognition, let's say. On the topic of, of hiring, you just mentioned that um, you also kind of announced, I think, last year that you were planning to you know, grow the headcount of the business by 70%. I was just curious to kind of understand how your views on hiring and building your team has changed since the pandemic. Have you changed your approach in terms of how you would build that team? Yeah, we've went through we went through a few cycles uh, when the pandemic, uh, or from our perspective, when the pandemic hit, when we understood that pandemic hit back in March, we paused our hiring. We didn't lay off anyone, but we said, you know, this is so so out of the norm. We just need to pause for a moment and see where the world is going. But really, after a couple of months, we understood that from business perspective. We were, uh, at the minimum, not hurt. We actually saw some traction, uh, accelerated traction, uh, and went back to hiring. We had a goal uh, back in July. We had a goal to hire uh, 100 people. Uh, We fell short of that goal. We hired 70 out of the 100. And we are now 400 and some people, and we expect to finish the year with 770 people. So we are uh, hiring 370 people or 360 people throughout the end of the year. So still aggressive, aggressive hiring plans. And it's not only the number of people that we need because we're growing so fast, but it's also how do you cope with it during COVID? How do you interview? How do you uh, onboard? All of these things are great, great challenges. Uh, I think for now, I understand the business, I understand the market. We have the go-to market. We're doing well on all of that. And I think the risk there is moderate. The risk or the unknown or the skill that we need to build, the muscle that we need to strengthen is around hiring, interviewing, onboarding under COVID. We've done a lot of it already and we're getting better and better. That's a, a... a real area of focus for the whole company. On that, in terms of your approach to bringing talent on, we've spoken to some CEOs uh, on the in these discussions where they've really had a, a shift of mindset as far as where people need to be located. And I don't know, has that affected your approach to hiring? I believe, and, and there's actually data and research to support that, that when you're in a growth stage, when you're still creating and building and there are a lot of unknowns and you need to whiteboard and collaborate, if you value the group work, then you need to be in one room. Zoom doesn't solve for that. It's very efficient. Zoom is very efficient, but in some ways, especially around the creative part, it's not very effective. So it's very efficient, not very effective, especially at growth level, young companies and growing companies. And we're still uh, young. We're still building a ton, right? We're hiring so many developers and we're building so many new initiatives that still need that collaboration and that brainstorming. At the same time, there are roles in Tipalti that are more structured, require less of that collaboration, just require good onboarding and training and good resources for these people to work. For those roles, we are more liberal in where these people are. For the core roles that require collaboration, uh, the major functions in the company, some of the major functions in the company, engineering and product, uh, sales and marketing, 
we believe that the long-term vision for us is still an in-office company, but we're flexible where, where we can. It's, it's great to hear the, the continued growth through the pandemic. I was just wondering how it's impacted the markets that you serve and also your clients and, and partners. Has it generated any, any challenges that you've had to overcome at all? So from our customer base, we have a, the, an interesting mix of customers. Some of the customers that you've mentioned actually caught tailwind. Some of them caught significant tailwind through COVID, right? If you are a streaming company, a gaming company, an e-commerce company, you're doing better because people are at home, they stream more, they play more, they buy online more. So many of our larger customers are those and we've seen them uh, just you know, grow incredibly. Many of our customers are in the physical domain, whether it is uh, around gyms or travel or other areas, and they've, they've been hit like you know, most of, of the rest of the economy. But in the grand scheme of things, we're actually benefiting just a little bit more from those who caught tailwind. So we're, we're you know, fortunate that way. From a partner perspective, don't think we've seen any significant uh, impact on our partner front. Obviously, real estate is tricky. In March, we were looking for a new place in Israel, looking for a new place in San Mateo, looking for a new place in Vancouver, and looking for a new place in London, all at the same time. And we were lucky that it caught us just before we signed any agreement. So that is all on hold. But now in Israel, um, we are uh, going back to looking for a new place. We, the current place with the current headcount is already uh, overflowing. So we need to find a new place. But other than that, all our partners performed very well and uh, we didn't have any hiccups on those fronts. There's that um, that expression of necessity being the mother of invention, and I just you, I think you kind of touched on some of this earlier about the pandemic has forced businesses to change how they work. I, I just wondered, are there been things within the fintech space that you've been particularly excited about that have emerged through the pandemic um, as cases of innovation? I, yeah, I think uh, it's not so much new innovation, but the pace. Of, or the acceleration of the creation of categories like ours and, and many others and in other areas as well. But for us and for CFOs, by the way, it's great for, for the economy. It's great for these, those CFOs that through COVID, the pace of this category being created, of adoption, of moving from early adopters to late adopters to early majority and, and so on is accelerating. It'll make all those companies who adopt these technologies more efficient. It will really shift the focus of those CFOs and VPs of finance to more value-adding, you know, being able to add more value in strategic areas of their business. So that is really that is really exciting. Exciting, obviously, for us as a business, but really exciting for me when I look at the growth and, and the economy and efficiencies are, are really critical to uh, economical development. So here you see how COVID will improve efficiencies and will actually drive economic development while we're suffering through all of this. So this is exciting. That, that's, that's the part that excites me most. One of the focus areas of this this um, series of uh, conversations we're having with Unicorn CEOs is kind of understanding issues around communications and, and culture. And so I was just 
wondering if we could touch a little bit on what's your philosophy and approach to raising awareness and differentiating yourself in such a crowded environment? So for us, the category we operate in is really a blue ocean. It's white space, blue ocean, uh, whatever color and, and term you want to attach to it. But there are roughly between you know, 600,000 and a million uh, companies in our uh, domain, in our, you know, in our target market. And between all of the players together, we're serving 3%, 4%. So it's not so much uh, that is uh, uh, crowded and noisy. It's more about getting the word out and getting more people. So I'm happy with the success of uh, uh, my my uh, competitors uh, to a modest degree. They should be careful with that. I want to be more successful, but it's actually more about building the category and getting the word out. Uh, and, and the way we do that, again, in, in under COVID, our value proposition is so in line with the pains that they have. So just... Really, really early in, in March or April, we realigned our messaging to be very COVID-aligned about efficiencies, about work from home, about automation, about better financial controls. Just speaking to the pains that our customers have that resonates. We've seen the, the response from uh, the prospects from the target audience. Obviously, be very empathetic to their pains. Uh, you know, it's not it's not that uh, exclusively happy selling exercise that yeah, let's do it, let's do. There are some, some of them are suffering and they need to do to make changes because they are under stress. Showcase how we can help them, help them make the decision, be empathetic, and these are the ways we, we try to get the word out. I know it, culture is such an important quality to a successful business. What's your kind of approach to building your culture, you know, in such a fast growing company with so many new people joining? How, how do you try to, to achieve that? So uh, we just, uh, we're, as I said, we're growing from this ra- roughly 400 number of employees to around 800. We feel that this is kind of a step a step function, the, the things that we need to change. So we took um, a consultant to help us work through that. And she interviewed the executive team and interviewed middle management. And uh, I was really happy to hear that despite part of the team being in Israel, part of the team being in the US, they, they share the same culture. They, they, sh- they understand the vision the same way. They understand the strategy. And the key is the people I choose and the people that they choose, and then the people that they choose, right? It's, it starts with choosing the right people for this culture and to communicating it and, and uh, elevating those who uh, exemplify those traits in the culture that we really want to strengthen and correcting and making it very clear and not leaving it to rot in areas that are not in disagreement with our culture and that we need to correct. So it's about walking the talk, right? I'm not a big talker for talking's sake. I like to have a robust results and, and a robust actions behind the talk. So I think the key for us is hiring the right people, correcting where you need to correct, and making sure that you actually walk the talk and that you elevate and, and celebrate those who practice and are examples of those values that you want to uh, strengthen. That, that actually leads 
nicely onto the question I wanted to ask about internal communications because with with this growth in the company and obviously you've got so many new people coming on board that even locally to you you may not not have even met they may not have even been into an office due to covid and that kind of stuff so how how are you navigating that need to communicate with individuals within the business against the teams and the entire company particularly as we're so or, or you are now so geographically spread out but also people working remotely um as well you know how, how are you getting over all that yeah it's a challenge before covid i used to travel uh, two weeks every month i was two weeks in israel two weeks in california and i would meet everyone in some way or fashion uh, until we were 130 i interviewed everyone who we hired uh, so that wasn't that long ago by the way now i haven't met more than half of the company i've never been in the same room with more than half of the company so that's a challenge and i really look forward to changing that uh, hopefully soon when COVID hit, the stress was uh, through the roof, right? We didn't know what the impact on the company would be. We didn't know, well, what are we going to suffer like the rest of the economy? Is it like a recession that we're going to suffer? Now, in hindsight, we, we aren't, but the stress uh, among employees was high. And, and then I uh, increased the pace of communication significantly. I started slacking every week, every other week. Sometimes on a business topic, sometimes just to say, you know, hi, I feel for you. I know that we're under stress. Don't worry about it. We'll get through it. And people really responded and really, really appreciated it. In the same interviews that this consultant I mentioned before did, she also came back with a strong feedback that we have this all hands, monthly all hands meeting that I run with uh, some guests but people really look forward to it, really listen to it. And generally, I understand it. But when it comes back uh, unaided and people say, we really appreciate those all hands. And we have a, I'm, I'm transparent. We share a lot of data. We, we allow them to ask questions anonymously so they can ask everything. And I try to answer everything. The hardest of hardest questions I ask, I don't leave any stone unturned. So uh, when when you have that transparency, when you have that ability to ask tough questions and get answers to tough questions, that really helped uh, during the pandemic. And that helps also to build a culture. Again, we have a very, we have a very clear uh, cadence of, of uh, celebrating the, those who are representative of the culture, those who did something great with the customers, those who really were really strong on collaboration. It's a really collaborative team celebrating that, celebrating those who exemplify that, just showcasing what we believe in, what makes us successful and, and doing that good pace and uh, so that everyone hears from me and understands where we are and just reduces the level of anxiety uh, around the team. You said you were traveling more, obviously, before all, the, all this hit. Do you think you'll go back to that or, or do you think you've changed the way you work over the last few months? I am, by the way, I'm, I've had my second shot last week, my second vaccine shot uh, last week. So I'll be vaccinated properly this Thursday and I really plan on traveling early March. So really? I'm going back to traveling. Right. Uh, I'm going back to traveling. I'll, I won't force anyone to meet with me, right? Because I'm vaccinated, others are not. But uh, I know some people want to meet with me. I'll be available. 
but yeah, I expect to go back to traveling when the, you know, the level of vaccinations, when the regulations in different geographies allow that. Yeah, I believe in the human touch. I believe in meeting people face to face. Yeah. You know, I, I want to be there with my team. I haven't been with my team for a year now. It's crazy. I'm, I'm, it's just uh, Zoom and all of that. It's nice, but I really need... And there's something in walking the corridor and, you know, poking my head into my CMO's room and, you know, chit-chatting about something. And then the head of product comes and we brainstorm and things happen in those meetings. You, you can be as prescribed and as thought, thoughtful about your approach as you want. But the chit-chat, the brainstorm, the, oh, you know what, what happened yesterday and what, just there's something that's being, that, uh, that happens when, when people meet and sparks fly. And not only for me, obviously, but for the rest of the team. So I, I plan to go on traveling uh, the moment I can. What about the time that you're, you spend in the air and, and everything? I mean, that, how do you use that? Because I can see all the books behind you. Are you, are you do you read a lot on, on those trips? So, yeah, I, I have a system, right? You can, the, the flight from Tel Aviv to San Francisco is a 14-hour flight. And I do it 14-hour one day. In 14 days, I'll do the way back. In 14 days, I'll fly again. In 14 days, I'll fly again. So I'll, I'll have to kill 14 hours in a metal tube every uh, other week. Uh, I sleep through the flight. The only way to survive it is to sleep through the flight. So I manage my sleep. So I get to the airplane, maybe I watch a movie, read something, and then I, tr I, I really try to get through the flight, mostly through sleep. And it works for me. I've, I've, I've done it for probably four years every month. Brilliant. Um, okay, I want to move on to your role as a as an external spokesperson. Again, it's another question we've we've asked all our unicorn leaders today because it is quite interesting. Sometimes you get some founders that come up with a great idea, build a company, but they don't necessarily want to be the face of, of that company. How have you found being that representative of, of the business, and, and what have you learned along the way? So it's not natural to me either, right? It's something I've grown to do a little better. Uh, year by year. I don't think I'm an expert by no means, but I definitely uh, am comfortable in the role. For us, it's really a lot about, uh, for me uh, specifically, it's a lot about hiring, being the face for the company, for candidates. They see me. They, I, when I interview people, they often say, oh, we've seen that podcast. We've seen that interview. So they get to know a little bit of me, and I think it adds value to the process. Obviously, with investors and analysts, I'm not sure to, to what extent customers look at, at those public speaking engagements. I wonder. I'm not sure. I just don't know. But for, the, for employees, for investors and analysts, uh, I think it's important. I took guides. I, I had instructors help me with public speaking. Probably every five years, I'll take someone to coach me and help me improve and, and Probably I'll need to continue with that for the rest of my life because I'll never be great at that. I'm doing okay, I think. Yeah. And along that journey, Chen, have you ever encountered any like really challenging communication situations or, you know, maybe what was kind of the biggest communications challenge you faced along that, that journey? <laughs> I think it was one of those early coaching exercises way back when that really exposed my biggest challenge and my biggest challenge was myself. And it's, it still is. I'm uh, prone to understatement. I'm not, you know, 
I'm not bragging, I'm not making, you know, big statements. And there's a lot of benefit to that. My my latest coach of uh, about a year and a half ago uh, said, you know, you come, you're authentic, you're passionate about you, what you do. These are the things that capture the audience. Great. So now I understand what works for me for the first time. But before that, uh, in early in my career, I didn't feel that uh, I had the right to make strong statements and just put it on the table and say, yeah, we're strong. Yeah, we're going to win and all of that. That's early in my career. So I think it's always the biggest challenges uh, were around uh, myself and my shortcomings that are sometimes also advantages. And and thinking of like the audience that's listening to this, who they, who themselves may be aspiring unicorn CEOs, I'm just wondering what's the best piece of communication advice that someone's given you, maybe in response to that point that you just raised? Be yourself. Just be yourself, right? Okay. Be yourself, right? You have, I forget the name of that Microsoft CEO running across the stage. Do you remember that video? Palmer? Uh, Steve, Steve Palmer? Steve Palmer. Yeah. So you have that, maybe that works. You have Elon Musk, who's kind of had, uh, you know, has this introvert, extrovert, I don't know exactly, mid-trovert uh, approach. It's about trust. It's For me, I think it's about people trusting me being authentic, saying as it is. I don't, I don't, if I always try to do my best, I'm not ashamed in my failures. They are there. I'm, no, I'm, I'm not overly excited about my successes. They are there. Just be honest, be authentic. People will re- relate to that. Be yourself. You mentioned a couple of uh, big names there. Is there anyone that inspires you at all? Elon Musk, by no, yeah, no doubt. Elon Musk, I think he's, what really inspires me about Elon Musk is that there are no limits to his imagination. He's just, sky's the limit is, is kind of an understatement for him, right? It's, <laughs> Mars is the limit. Even, I'm not sure that he stops in Mars. Maybe he has <laughs> other aspirations beyond Mars. So I really uh, admire uh, it, not only thinking big, but acting big. I really like it about him. Obviously, it's not perfect, and you know, but uh, no one is. And Bill Gates, I think I really, really look up to Bill Gates, what he's doing post-Microsoft, and just a smart, thoughtful leader. These are the leaders I look up to. It's kind of surprising, given how much money is invested into the tech space, that there aren't more people like Elon Musk with kind of these kind of big, grand visions. Because you can probably go back in time, I don't know, 50 years or so. And the idea of going to Mars wouldn't have been such an extraordinary thing. Whereas today he stands out as someone with huge ambitions. And I kind of wonder why does he stand out so much? And and kind of like, clearly he is a very ambitious guy, but why aren't there more Elon Musk? I think, I hope we will have more and more, right? Elon Musk was a very wealthy individual at young age, but he's also, he's taking it to extreme, right? He was close to being personally bankrupt while investing in SpaceX and while investing in Tesla. So this is really to the extreme. But I think the current economy, the current, you know, you're, you're making the show about uh, unicorns. You'll have more unicorns, more entrepreneurs uh, who have more capacity to do great things. And hopefully we'll see more of that. I think Bill Gates trying to cure diseases, right? It's not it's not a small feat. He wants to cure diseases. Uh, this is phenomenal. 
I agree with you. We need more. And uh, I, I, there's hope that with the current barrage of unicorns and, and money in the hands of uh, entrepreneurs, we'll see more of that. Just thinking actually on, on that for your own company, in terms of what, what the next stage of your development of the business, I'm not suggesting you're going to be flying off to Mars next, but you know, what, what, what's the outlook for the company and the, plan, and the plans for the future? As I said, the, the category, the market is sparsely populated, to say the least, right? 4% penetration. And we are not the 4%. We are part of the 4%. So we can double and double and double for many years to come and still just scratch the surface. So high growth is here to stay for many years to come. That's from a commercial a revenue perspective. Uh, we're also in what I coined the third chapter of the company. The first chapter was around those Twitches and Twitters and GoDaddies. They have a certain uh, flair to them that we really corner that market. It's ours. We have the best solution. We own that, so to speak. We, we provide an unparalleled solution and we're doing a great job there. Then probably four or five, six years ago, we started with traditional accounts payable, invoice processing, PO matching, and so forth. The current chapter, and we, I, I'm, I, I'm, we are now hiring aggressively. We're hiring aggressively also for the engineering and product part. And we are more than doubling that function in the company this year. And in the next two years, we will invest in the product more than we did in the previous 10 years combined. Those investments are will take us to that next level of really continuing to expand our uh, solution footprint to help CFOs and VPs of finance more, automate more, and really accomplish that vision of integrating the workflows with financial operations, the business workflows, with financial operations and making enterprise-grade financial products accessible to mid-market companies. So it's a growth just because the market expects us and, and will absorb what we can deliver to the market, but also expanding the vision for the product and solving more and doing so much more. I believe in a few years' time, we will completely revolutionize the office of the CFO for mid-market companies. Exciting stuff. Chen, we've got one final question for you. We've asked um, all our uh, unicorn guests this, unicorn leader guests this. Um, if you were to go back in time and speak to your old self, what guidance would you give yourself about communications and what steps would you encourage yourself to take in order for you and your business to excel in communications? It's about being yourself. Don't look at other communicators and say, wow, how can I become that communicator? Be yourself. People will trust your, yourself the way you come forward clean. Practice. I think those coaches I've worked with in the past were important. So practice and talk more. For me, at least, right? I'm not a complete introvert. I'm a semi-introvert. But yeah, be more communicative. People actually want to listen to me. I, I, it's something, it's a new uh, epiphany for me, but the team really wants to hear from me and I need to talk, to, to speak with them more. So I think this would be some of the advice I would give uh, my younger self. Tremendous. Chen Amit, uh, thank you so much for joining us both on, online today. Thank you. Thank you. 
Well, Brendan, uh, Chen's our second unicorn leader from Israel, actually. So just a reminder for listeners, um, if you search the archives, you'll find our interview with Eric Stillman of Rapid. What did you think of what uh, Chen had to say? I guess on a lighter note, I um, have a lot of sympathy for his appreciation and and his desire to kind of spend time with his team and like not just um, do all of your communication, um, you know, uh, uh, remotely and I, I can kind of really sympathize with that with that but then I think the thing that um on a kind of a more strategic level which I really uh valued was his opinion around like um for spokespeople to kind of really be true to themselves and don't try and kind of mimic other people's communication styles but kind of really be you know true to themselves so whether you're slightly introverted or whether you're naturally an extrovert just kind of be authentic and and that will kind of win the trust and confidence of of the people that you're communicating with. So I think that was the, the key point I took away from that. Yeah, definitely. Well, that's that's actually it for the latest episode in this series uh, with Taito. Um, if you want to find out more about Tapalti, uh, their website is very simply um, tapalti.com. Um, we'd love to hear your comments on today's chat, um, and you can do that via our Facebook page, LinkedIn, Instagram, or Twitter feeds, or comment in the YouTube channel as well. Um, and uh, those are all linked from the top of the website at csuitepodcast.com, where you'll also find all our previous shows and show notes, uh, plus links to where you can subscribe for automatic downloads of each episode via the likes of Spotify and Apple. And if you've liked what you've heard, please do give us a positive rating and review. We're, of course, available on all podcast apps. Just search for the C-Suite podcast and hit subscribe. And don't forget, you can also subscribe to the Without Borders podcast from our partners at Taito. All the details of that are on their website. So just head to taitopr.com and uh, click on the podcast link in the top nav bar. If you are a unicorn leader yourself and you'd like to be part of this podcast series please do get in touch with us via the contact form on the website that's at csuitepodcast.com uh, plus of course anyone can get in touch too with any feedback you may have uh, finally you can also reach me via twitter uh, using at russ goldsmith or you can find me on linkedin but for now thanks for listening and goodbye mm-hmm.